Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that when you called us to trust the Lord Jesus, you called us into your family, into your people. Uh, we thank you that uh, within uh, your family we can be blessed by the gifts you have given others and we can bless others with the gifts you give us, that we can be encouraged and encouraged in persevering in following Jesus. And Father, we thank you that your word guides us into how we should order our life together as your people. Uh, we pray that you would grant us to hear that word tonight, to understand it, and to trust you enough to put it into practice. And Heavenly Father, help me to teach your word truthfully and clearly as I ought. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, leadership, uh, national leadership, has been on the minds of many of us recently, although we tend to think about leadership only when we have to make a choice, or perhaps when we're feeling the effects of bad or absent leadership, you know, when things go wrong or decisions are not being made. But we do know that good leadership is important for the health, the fruitfulness, productivity, integrity of organisations and nations and for dealing with the challenges that life throws up, responding to them in ways that allow the organisation to prosper even in tough times. Our good leadership's not always prominent, it can be invisible, in part because the focus of good leadership's not on itself, but on the health of the organisation or the successful completion of the task. But we know we need good leadership. Business, for example, knows that, even if it irritates us, that's why they pay their CEOs so much. Leadership matters. So what kind of leadership should Christian congregations have? There are two parts to answering that question with the second part dependent on the answer to the first part. And the first part of the answer is, of course, that Christian congregations already have a leader, the Lord Jesus. He is the church's one Lord. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. We preach Jesus as Lord. And the Lord Jesus is the one head, the source of life and direction for his people, for his church. So the most important thing for congregations is to stay connected to him, who is the source of our growth. And Jesus, our Lord, calls himself our good shepherd, the one who loves us enough to lay down his life for us, and the one who continues to care for his people, who protects and nurtures them. And because Jesus is our Lord, our shepherd and our head, the church, the congregation, is not a human club, but it is the church of God. As Paul says uh, to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And that means that the church, this congregation, is precious to God, valuable to him. So we have a leader, the Lord Jesus. He rules in his church. Jesus is and must always be the boss of his people. So if we're asking what kind of leadership congregations must have, the first part of our answer is people who know they are not the boss, people who are committed to following Jesus 
and know that they are accountable to him, that there will come a day when they will have to give account to the Lord Jesus for the way they have served his people. Now you might think all that might be obvious, but there will be, as you saw in Acts 20, an experience confirms those who want their own following, who are driven by a desire for power or by a desire to be flattered to aspire to positions of leadership in Christian congregations. And we have to be alert to them and their destructive influence. Leaders must be servants of God's people in being servants of Jesus, those who take to heart and follow the example he gave and commanded in John 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that word is for all, for every believer. But such service must especially be seen in those who have positions of authority in Christ's church. Uh, such service is the test of whether they take their following of Jesus seriously. More, such service is the test of whether they've taken the centrality of Jesus saving by his crucifixion seriously, whether they've allowed that great, painful, loving service to transform their lives and values. But Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5 also indicate that there are those who are entrusted with leadership in congregations. Elders, Peter writes, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's congregation. So there are people who are called to positions of responsibility that give them a matching authority in God's church, that is, sufficient authority to do the job entrusted to them. So what is the job entrusted to elders or entrusted to those whom we saw in Acts 20 as spoken of as being appointed overseers of the church by the Spirit to shepherd the church of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Now these people described as overseers are the same group of people described as elders. Overseers and elders describe the same group of people. You can see that in Acts 20 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5. But overseer is, in a sense, a job description. An overseer is someone who accepts responsibility to make sure that what they're overseeing works. So in this case, an overseer is somebody who takes responsibility to make sure that the congregation as a whole keeps working according to the owner's instruction. That is, that our life as a church conforms to Jesus' word. Now, the other word used for the role of elders in Acts 20 is that of a shepherd. Be shepherds, he says. Now, we're not as familiar with a shepherd's role now, but a shepherd's role involves protecting protecting the flock from thieves and predators like wolves and wild dogs. It involves guiding the congregation, guiding as we follow the chief shepherd. And so 
a shepherd has to keep the flock moving in the right direction. And it involves nurturing the flock, feeding them, so they get enough of the right food and right drink at the right time to themselves flourish. You can get a bit of a picture of what was expected of a shepherd in Ezekiel 34 back in the Old Testament where we read of God's commit criticism in verses 4 to 6 of those who are meant to be the shepherds of Israel and also later of God's commitment to himself be their shepherd in verses 11 to 16. So he says to the fail shepherds, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. And then verses 11 to 16, you see God's commitment to be the shepherd of his people. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them. I will tend them in good pasture. I will, there they will lie down in good grazing land and they'll feed on rich pasture. And so a shepherd is to strengthen the weak, to heal the sick and comfort the wounded, to bring back those straying and search for the lost, to rule with gentleness and maintain the integrity of the flock, to keep them safe and well nourished. Now we will see that the shepherds of God's people carry out this task by faithfully teaching the word of God. But from Acts 21, Peter 5, we can see already, can't we, that the role of an elder or overseer is very important to the well-being of the congregation. It's actually very important to your well-being as followers of Jesus. And if you get neglectful, selfish, unfaithful shepherds, it's disastrous. The flock is malnourished, scattered and vulnerable. You won't prosper in your following of Jesus. And that makes the members' choice through their voting for elders very important. You need to get it right. And even if you think you won't be voting in this election, you're just sitting here, if you're going to be a continuing member of a Christian congregation, you need to get your thinking about who can lead in Christian congregations right. Conform to God's word because it affects your ongoing health and fruitfulness of believe, as believers. So we need to get it right. And that brings us to the second part of the answer to the question, what kind of leadership Christian congregations should have? You know, who should we see as being equipped by God for this role of being shepherds and overseers in his church? Now, as we come to think of it, let's think firstly of the source of our answer to that question. Where can we learn whom we should recognise to lead congregations? You see, there are lots of places we can look to for advice and instruction on organisations and leadership. Leadership is common across organisations, common in many groups in our society. And organisations have lots of different kinds, lots of different models of leadership. And the danger as Christians, when we come to think about leadership, is that we take these ideas of leadership from other organisations that we've been involved in and we import them into what we think should be true of leaders in our congregation. And so you might take ideas from elsewhere and think, well, 
the most important thing for a leader in a congregation is to be a, you know, a good administrator or a, a good delegator or something like that. Or you might do what other organisations do when they come to look for leaders. You might do a needs-based assessment of the group, of the church, and you know, come up with things like oh, communication skills, media profile, academic brilliance, you know, dynamism, something, you know, all sorts of things. Or perhaps you might think that's all too much and you think this is a you know, friendly little group. We should just choose what suits us, you know, the kind of person we can get along with, a, a real people person, approachable and cuddly. Uh, now, of course, you know that that would disqualify me entirely, okay? <laughs> I am the non-hugging elder, okay? Others can compensate for that, right? right but, but we would fail if we took our ideas about leadership from anywhere else than the Word of God because the church belongs to God. Here, Jesus rules. And so his word must rule in our choice and only by listening to his word can we choose those who promote and lead consistently with the rule of the good shepherd over his flock. We must be guided by God's word and God's word alone. And God's word speaks explicitly on what should be found in an elder, one who will have oversight of God's people. So let's look at what God's word says. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. And, and remember, this is introduced, as you heard, if anyone desires the task of an overseer, it's a noble task, a noble thing to want that. And so some of you should be thinking, uh, you know, later on maybe as I grow and mature, God will want me uh, to serve in this way. So you should take this to heart. It's a noble thing to want to serve God's people in this way. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, the first thing that hits you really in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, if you were to look at it, is that there is this great focus on personal qualities, on character. In fact, the only functional gift spoken of is teaching. Now we'll think about why this is so and why this instruction has this emphasis uh, when we've looked at the character described. But it's worthwhile thinking about why there's this emphasis. But it says the overseer is to be above reproach. That is blameless. No observable known faults in his conduct. So you can't look at him and find fault in the way he relates to his wife or the way he drives or how he conducts, say, his business. He's not open to attack for his behaviour, especially in relation to the qualities that Paul is about now to list. He's to be faithful to his wife. Now that's a good translation of the phrase, the husband of but one wife. Paul is not giving instruction about how often one can be married, nor is he saying that single people can't be elders because Paul himself and the Lord Jesus were single. No, he's actually talking about how the man, if he's married, has conducted himself in marriage. Has he been faithful to his wife? Such faithfulness to your promise to your wife, you see, is a great demonstration of integrity, of faithfulness to your commitments, of a heart set and determined to please Jesus. And he says he's to be temperate and self-controlled. 
The notion is clear-headed, not given to extremes, thoughtful. Those two qualities together say that an elder is not to be a slave to his appetites, not ruled by his emotions, passions and impulses. He's to be self-controlled so that he can, in a sense, step back and look at the issue. He's to be respectable, that is, to have integrity, live a life that causes others to respect him, hospitable, willing to spend his substance to support believers in need, and able to teach. This is the one ministry skill spoken of, both here and in Titus. It doesn't mean the person has to be an orator, but it does mean that in groups or one-on-one, -on -one, he is able to explain Christian teaching and apply it to the lives of those who hear. And that's why, on the whole, we look for our elders from growth group leaders, because this is an essential ability, one vital for the health of the congregation. An elder's not to be given to drunkenness. A drunkard, you see, is unreliable will bring shame on themselves and the group they're associated with and can harm relationships by what they say or do when under the influence. An elder must be able to rule himself, not be ruled by anything else. He's not to be violent, but gentle. That is, he's not to be a bully, not someone who is threatening or abusive. You always feel uneasy, tense with a bully. You have to feel safe in an elder's presence. Be confident that if you have a question or an issue, they will listen to you. That if you get something wrong, you'll be corrected gently and encouraged, not threatened or abused. Elders should be gentle and kind, even when they're needing to correct you or rebuke your behaviour. Not quarrelsome, but peaceable. You see, and you probably encountered them, some people just have to win and delight in having a quarrel and argument just so they can win. They want to pick fights to show how much better they are, more insightful or more spiritual or more faithful. But we tend to learn better in peace. And our understanding, not a demonstration of their intellectual superiority, has to be the elder's goal, not a lover of money not someone who will use you or the congregation for their own material advancement. You can never trust a lover of money, for they always have their interests, not yours, at the forefront of their thinking in their dealings with you. In fact, elders need to be people who can bear material loss for the welfare of the congregation. And it says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now that makes so much sense. You see, how do you know someone has the character Paul has just described? Only by observation. And where do you see people in relationships and tested in relationships over years? It's in their families. It's in family relationships that people's characters developed and proved where we can see the fruit of their relating, their relational competence. And it makes sense because relationships in families are like relationships in congregations. It's in the family that we see thoughtful provision by parents for the needs of dependents. It's in families that we can see the prioritisation of time for the good of those entrusted to their care. 
In families, we see the capacity to develop in others an ability to relate well, to trust and be trusted. It's in families that you see the ability to preserve unity, the ability to correct in love. And all those things are the fruit of the character Paul is looking for. Now, it doesn't say here or in Titus that the children must be believers. That's the work of God's spirit giving new birth. It does say they must be respectful and that under his roof they can form their life to the household standards. And of course that can be challenging and it can make us nervous in our choice in an age where parental authority is marginalised and undermined and where sometimes in our congregation we are choosing elders who are young. But the text directs us to the management of the household in the present, what we can see in the present, not to the future that we cannot see. And it says an elder must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. There must be time for the elder to prove themselves faithful. Appointing a recent convert could give them a dangerously inflated view of themselves. And like the devil, they might start to trust in themselves and their own sanctity and ability. Elders need time to know their own frailty and fallibility, their own capacity for failure and sin. An untried person can be dismissive of the failings of others and impatient with their struggles and their spiritual pride will destroy themselves and others just as the devil's pride destroyed him. And an elder must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he'll not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now this isn't saying that the world's estimate should guide our appointment. But the elder is in many contexts representing the Christian community and mixing with those outside the congregation on behalf of the congregation. Now under what circumstances will that elder get a hearing? It won't happen if there's doubt, say, over his integrity or reliability in their work. And it won't happen if they're known for championing some eccentricity that's abhorrent to the community like forbidding marriage, as some of the false teachers at Ephesus were doing. And it won't happen if still prominent in the community's mind is some sin for which the person may have found forgiveness, but still stirs up resentment. And it won't happen where there are differences of education and culture that means the believer will be looked down upon. The role of being an elder is hard enough in a critical society without exposing the elder to further and continuing criticism and disdain by the society around them, where the society around them will interpret everything they do in the worst possible light. The goal of this instruction is to get a hearing for the gospel, and there are lots of traps. Someone exposed to that kind of constant criticism and rejection by the society in which they live can start to feel that they're letting their Christian community down and get discouraged. Or they might become fearful of the response of those outside and be tempted to compromise. Or even worse, they might react to the criticism of the world with hostility themselves and lose their love for the world and create a withdrawn, defensive and insular Christian community. So, says Paul, look for proven, tested character in someone who can teach, someone who has a proven, tested capacity for promoting the other's good in relationships 
someone who is respected not just within the congregation but within the community at large. Now why? Why doesn't Paul say look for someone who, for example, has lots of academic learning or who's been a success in the business world or who has a charismatic personality or who's gifted with prophecy and miracles? Why this kind of character and this kind of ministry? Well, firstly, this kind of elder can promote the growth of the members of the congregation. See, Christian ministry has a goal, and that is that everyone be presented mature in Christ, that believers grow up to maturity. For that goal to be realised, you need a good model and you need good relationships. People need to see the Christian life lived out in relationships. This kind of elder, as he ought to be, is a model of what it is to follow Jesus. For the life described is a life of love in the context of settled relationships, a model in each congregation's particular context. And we need good relationships for growth. You see that in the family. And as I've said, church relationships are like family relationships. Bullies crush. Drunkards are unreliable. The greedy exploit. None can be trusted and none can nurture others. But an elder with this character has the tested ability to practice the kind of relationships that are needed for growth, where you can rebuke without crushing, encourage without flattering, correct gently, love without indulging. And you need that testedness, for the character has to be on display constantly, 24 hours a day and over years, not just now and then when it suits to put on a good show. Secondly, this kind of elder can protect and enhance the church's reputation in the wider community. And that's important not just for the church, but for the gospel. We operate in a wider context with an often suspicious and critical community watching on. And our leaders carry the reputation of the Christian community and of Christ on their shoulders. And for example, there were false teachers in Ephesus forbidding good things like certain foods or marriage who were greedy and quarrelling over words, over trivia. Now such false teachers caused the reputation of the Christian community to be trashed and its message dismissed. Just like today somebody running off with the church's funds or with someone else's wife or promising, say, healing and not delivering or taking people's money on false pretenses, just like they trash the reputation of the Christian community and cause the Christian message to be dismissed. We don't want those people in leadership. But somebody with the character described in 1 Timothy 3 who is able to show integrity in their lives, honourable relationships, honesty in handling money, integrity and reliability in their work, thoughtfulness in their response to criticism, kindness and gentleness towards the vulnerable, that person enhances the congregation's reputation and wins a hearing for the Christian message. And this instruction is given in the context of concern for the gospel. That's what Paul talks about before and after this instruction, that God wants all people to be saved 
that the gospel is a message of salvation for all kinds of people. As he talks about the structure of the church, the leadership of the church, that is on Paul's mind. And it should be on our minds when we come to choose our leaders as well. And thirdly, this kind of character and giftedness is needed because elders are entrusted with the teaching of the word in the congregation. And the reception of that word is essential to the identity and life of Christian people. In fact, it's through the teaching of the gospel that we are Christ's people. Only as we hear the word and are encouraged to live out the word in faithful obedience can we be who we claim to be, the people of Jesus. See, think of the centrality of the word to our life as Jesus' people. Jesus' disciples are people who are taught to obey everything that the Lord Jesus has commanded us. That is how we are his disciples. And Jesus rules us. He directs and guides us by his word. Just as he saves us by his gospel word, the power of God for salvation. Both those considerations, that the word in a sense nurtures us to maturity and the word saves us, come together in 2 Timothy. It's the word, the sacred scriptures, that actually make us wise to salvation. And it's the word that equips us to live the life God wants us to live. And we are reminded over and over again in the New Testament that we have to keep listening to Jesus' word, to the scriptures, if we are going to be fruitful and faithful followers of Jesus. So we need people who can teach us the word and model it in our own particular context. If we choose people who are unable to teach, one-on-one -on -one as well as in the group, if we choose people who can be dismissed as hypocrites, if we choose those, well, who lose the word in bullying, threats and argumentativeness about things that don't matter, the, world, the word will not be clearly taught amongst us. It will not come with authority and it won't get traction in our common life. And where that happens, Christ will not rule amongst us and we will wither as his people. So why this kind of eldership? It's because elders like this can have the ministry which is needed for the healthy growth of the congregation that preserves and promotes the reputation of the congregation and the gospel in the wider society and it sustains, an eldership like this sustains the central place of the word of God in the congregation's life and in the reception of the gospel in the community. So be wise about your choice of elders, whether you're voting now or in the years to come in the Christian congregations in which you participate. Be wise about your choice and make sure you conform your choice to God's word. And as you prepare to do that, be thankful. Be thankful that the Lord Jesus commands and provides this kind of leadership for you. The Lord Jesus wants your well-being. He wants you nurtured. He wants his people characterised by what matters to him, love and kindness, truth and godliness. And that is good. So be thankful and be prayerful. The Lord Jesus gives to his people the leaders they need.
This character cannot be manufactured. No amount of leadership classes or institutes will give you these kinds of people. They are the Lord's gift to his people, prepared through faithful living over years. So you should be praying for such elders and you should be praying with confidence because the Lord wants his people healthy and safe. So if we're getting bad leaders, maybe it's because we're not asking the Lord Jesus for the leaders he wants to give his church. Be thankful, be prayerful, and know that your job is to recognise those whom God has given and to recognise that such men and only such men are fit to exercise pastoral care amongst God's people. So don't overlook those with this character because others are noisier or flashier. Don't disdain because perhaps they're not, well, influential or famous or recognised. Don't be misled into choosing other kinds of leaderships because your thinking has been informed by what you have learnt of leadership in other organisations. To set aside the scripture's instruction is folly that invites trouble. And when the Lord provides elders like this, imitate them. Elders may have different gifts to ours, but the character of an elder described here is the character we should all have. All of us should be faithful in marriage. All of us should be above reproach, self-controlled, hospitable, kind. None of us should be addicted to anything, whether it's grog or porn or drugs or Facebook. None of us should be bullies or argumentative or seeking to exploit relationships in the church for personal gain. That's why Jesus wants elders such as these, so you can see examples of following Jesus and be reminded through his word of why it is so good to follow Jesus. And when the Lord provides such leaders, keep praying for your elders and pastors. And I'd implore you to pray for us. See, being an elder can be a tough gig and a long service is called for consistency of life and teaching over many years and at the end of it you give account to the Lord Jesus for all that you have done and said in, in caring for his people. So I really would encourage you, pray for us. So for your own benefit, for the reputation of the gospel, to make sure we're a community where Jesus rules in truth, not just in show for the good of the world who desperately need to receive the gospel, to see the goodness of following Christ, pray for leaders like this and choose wisely. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again we thank you for the goodness of your instruction and we pray that we would conform our thinking to who should lead in the church in your church, the church of God, we conform our thinking to what your word says. Gracious Father, we do pray that you would raise up for us people who can teach your word and who have this character, character formed in patiently following Jesus. And gracious Father, more than that, we pray that we also would aspire to this character that each one of us who confesses Jesus would want and long to be faithful in marriage, faithful to our commitments, 
will want and long to be gentle people, people who are self-controlled, thoughtful, respectable, people who are consistent in their dealings with others, treating them for their benefit in love. We pray that you would give us these leaders so that we would be the congregation you want us to be and so that our lives individually and collectively would conform to our Lord Jesus' teaching, that we would be people who do the good works that bring honour and glory to your name, people who adorn the gospel of Jesus, so that not only we would have life in trusting him, but you would call others through your powerful gospel to trust him as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.